Hello, uh, thank you very much for being here again. Uh, the first bit of admin that I should probably do uh, immediately is to say that our live show will be on the 6th of February. It's Liberty Hall with dates. We are barely even paying lip service to the idea of doing it on the last Tuesday of every alternate month. At the moment, we are just doing whatever is most convenient for the largest number of our cast members. So 6th of February, it is. We hope you will be able to be there. And thank you, as ever, for your support and your coffees and your lovely messages. Uh, you are the best. Now, uh, I put on the iCouncil caution opener for the first of these episodes just because I like it. Now, and that's probably a mistake. I should only put it on when I counsel caution because there's a rude word or some similar thing. Uh, I've put it on today because... Uh, we do counsel caution with today's episode to a certain extent because it is a March episode. And as long-term fans know, March episodes mean that we will be going to Fort Lauderdale with Tom uh, to get his latest award for writing erotic fiction. And that means we acknowledge the existence of sex. And it's not just sex in today's episode. There will be, we will take the opportunity of the warning to load this uh, episode with uh, not just sex, but other uh, more mature content. Uh, by which I mean we will acknowledge the presence of death, which maybe that's a bit off-brand uh, during this year uh, or, you know, this period of time. But that's what we're doing. Uh, and, and it means that we get to play a particular uh, and particularly beloved Mighty Finn song th that we have been singing a lot round in my nuclear bubble in the last uh, the last week or two and so and so that's a good thing uh, from our perspective the kilburn story uh, is you know a march one as i say it is from 2015 how do we know it is because the uh, excitable intro which you will shortly hear is going on about the incredible fact that tall tales is five years old and uh, we, we we did genuinely find that extraordinary at the time. And how could how could the days have passed so swiftly? So I mean, five years. It's been five years. Welcome to our anniversary show. Five years though. Uh, five years ago. Um, five years. I was talking with my friend Tom about this, and he reminded me that five years ago he still only had one Willie. Uh, he, he was an NHS administrator, but he had secretly started writing erotic fiction with a fantasy twist. Uh, mermaids were where he started. And incredibly, uh, I mean, like, no one was more surprised than Tom. He'd got contacted by uh, Mills and Boone and uh, he was starting to make quite a lot of money. And, and he won a willy, which are the Erotic Fiction Association's annual awards. They're, they're named for... Wilhelmina Wilson, the Austin of penetration. <laughs> it's incredible. It's been five years. I'm one of, uh, I mean, Tom's one of my best friends. And he kept it secret from his girlfriend, Sally, for a couple of years. But when she found up, found out about it, uh, they split up. And, uh, and then they unsplit up. And then they got married. And, and well, still, Sally never liked the erotic fiction thing. It seemed sordid, really. And what do you tell people at parties? But, uh, I mean, basically, she never liked it. But that's not 
a problem because Tom's been stopping now, winding out his last contracts for for the last 18 months and planning other things to fill the gap. And his final erotic novel came out in October. It was it was called Lust in Time, about this beautiful vampire who enters a different parallel universe every time she has sex, which is great for getting out of scrapes, but terrible for finding love, uh, because she always wakes up with men with slightly different histories and characters to the ones she went to bed with. Eventually, she works out that the only cure for this malady is true love. It's a metaphor. It's a book about how sex can change your story in surprising ways, and that being a thrill, but discovering that you want to settle down to normality in the end, just like life, as Tom told Sally. Uh, Lust in Time won the Willy for Best Novel Historical. It's set in the present, but it's got vampires, so that makes it historical. And Tom invited Sally to Fort Lauderdale for the awards, like he does every year. And Sally, like she's never done, said yes, since it was going to be the last time. She might as well, she thought. It would be like being in a Louis Theroux documentary. And this was last week. She got out there to the Hotel Excelsior Elite Plus Deluxe in Fort Lauderdale, and... Um, Look, the Willies are not the Oscars. Uh, the whole place looks like, uh, you know, they call themselves the Oscars of erotic fiction, but everyone calls themselves the Oscars of whatever, and only the Oscars are the Oxus, Oscars. And what, what the Willies looks like is uh, basically a conference for medical admin professionals, which is what Tom used to say it was before he admitted the truth to Sally. It's all publishers and Tom's fellow writers, who are mostly mumsy women from places like Council Bluffs, Iowa, and uh, you know, they're just talking shop the whole time. And Sally found the whole thing quite boring. And she wasn't drinking, and she felt she was in Tom's way, so she stayed in their suite the first day, but that was even more boring. So she went for a wander, and she found herself outside a seminar room Selling your story was uh, the notice on the door, and she had this all-access conference pass, so she went in. Why not? Big mistake. This was her most boring half hour yet. People were pitching an endless series of truly terrible ideas, and every single one was about a, a an unassuming girl who somehow marries a prince or a film star. And she was just going to slip away when the leader of this seminar, a wolfish man from Harlequin, which is the international, um, you know, the, the, that's what Milton Boone is called in America, the parent company, called over to her and said, No Lurkin, what's your name? Uh, he's American. Uh, Crystal Surprise, she said. It's an English name? Don't apologize, I love it. What's your story? Oh, it's probably rubbish. It's, um, she looked around. It's about this woman. And she's beautiful, but she doesn't realise. Perfect. Uh, yeah, but she's incredibly shy. And she works online. Only online. As a, a brilliant spreadsheet engineer. Where does she live? She lives in Manhattan. I live in Manhattan. Oh, okay. And, uh, well, 
she gets hired by uh, um, a, a hedge fund guy. They're, they're, they're in Manhattan. Is that... Anyway, he gives this address three streets from her in New York, and she's scared because she doesn't want to meet him because she's shy. So she pretends to be based in Mumbai, and he doesn't care because all he cares about is, is he's a, you know, hedge funds investing. So wants her to help him invent a new method of investing. I don't need all the details, said Harlequin guy. Now, you got me intrigued because this story seems so goddamn boring that there's got to be something good coming down the line. What is it? Oh, well, they form an intense relationship, of course. But when do they have sex? We're five pages into the goddamn book and no one's had sex. It's all virtual? Virtual? This is bullcrap. Yeah. Uh, no. Oh, no. Actually, actually, I've got something. They describe what they're doing. And because it's virtual, they can do anything, like, like any fantasy, however rude or, or perverted or, or whatever. And, and they can describe it in, in incredible detail. And while they describe it, they're doing it you know, to themselves. Do they use machines? Uh, yeah, sometimes. But also sometimes they just like normally, you know. There was a silence. With their hands, their... ma'am. Sorry? Playing with themselves, pardon my French. Playing themselves with their hands and he went into this reverie and no one knew quite what to do eventually he turned to her and said i am not an excitable man i do not do hyperbole but this i don't want to exaggerate this could be the holy goddamn grail, Miss Surprise. I got a feeling you might just be the Dan Brown of self-stimulation. If that isn't a tautology, I don't get it. Now, this has got to be a series. How did they meet? Right, said Sally. Uh, well, she imagines she sees this guy on the streets all the time. But in the end, it turns out that he doesn't even live in New York. Uh, he lives in a French castle all along, and he's he's the secret heir of Napoleon. I knew it! Yes! And, and he's really happy because he always wanted a relationship with someone who wasn't obsessed with his looks or charisma. A story as old as time. And they meet in book two. Yes, and, and they have sex. Yes, what goes wrong? Oh, uh, yes. She hates the fact he's so focused on money, but in book three, she finds out he wanted the money to cure AIDS all along. This is the bomb, Miss Surprise. This is the bomb. The rest of you, you're losers, and you will always be losers. You and me, Miss Surprise, we are going to drink champagne and eat a lobster. I have never before eaten a lobster and terrified of the little guys, but today I am going to eat a lobster. Goddamn lobsters. And the upshot is that Mills and Boone have given Sally a three-book deal. And, uh, you know, I find this hilarious. Tom finds it particularly hilarious. But, uh, but what has transpired in the fortnight since 
10 days since, whatever, is that Sally absolutely cannot write these books. Ideas, uh, ask pretty much any writer, ideas are easy, writing not so much. Is there a solution? Yes. Tom, who was supposed to be giving up, is now writing three new books. And the thing is, Sally loves Tom. And when she was in Fort Lauderdale, she could see how, look, he's successful and he's fated and he's really good at this weird thing. And she realized that the reason he was quitting was that she was ashamed. And that won't do. Basically, Sally is five years older, three years older, three years older than when she found out and wiser. And if this is who Tom is, this is who he is and who she married. And incidentally, if Crystal Surprise is going to be a success, then that will buy a load of nappies for the next generation. So go Crystal Surprise because Sally's pregnant and uh, that, uh, such as it is, is the real news from Gilbert. Today's uh, first act is the magnificent Gareth Edwards, TV producer and radio producer. Comedy producer is the best way to put it. Comedy producer and children's author extraordinaire. I, he is genuinely brilliant at these things and also at what he does for us, which we are very grateful for. And this is him. He asked me to see if I could uh, edit out a fluff, by the way. You will notice the point at which I have uh, turned his almost unnoticeable fluff in the middle of this into a, a sort of jarring caesura, which... Uh, ah, will he be grateful? It seems unlikely. On the distant side of the faraway hills was a wood, and in that wood there was an old oak tree, and under that tree there was a badger, and his name was Graham. Graham was seven and a half years old, and he had just got over his midlife crisis. Now he was learning to relax a bit, and he was even getting on better with Mrs. Badger now that they'd had the badger counselling, even if the therapist had been a bit of a weasel. In fact, not just a bit of a weasel, but the vast majority of a weasel, except for one ear, which the therapist claimed had been chewed off by a grateful former client. But anyway, life was good, and Graham was trying to do as the 97% of a weasel had suggested, and have some more me time to get in touch with his real self. So he was thinking of maybe taking up an enlightening hobby, like yogic scratching, or an extreme sport like road crossing. But then one morning, a neighbouring stoat came round with the news that Graham's dad, Ivan the Badger, had died. Years ago, Ivan had been the bravest and most interesting badger in the whole wood. But more recently, he liked to sit on his special pile of bracken and drink acorn cups full of his cask-aged 12-year-old woodland cordial and complain about how whenever you rang the woodland telephone helpline, you never got to speak to a real animal. Graham loved his dad, but he had very different plans for his own old age, involving maybe music festivals and a motorbike. But now Ivan was dead, and Graham was sad. 
sad to have lost his dad and sad at the thought his cubs would never hear Ivan talk about his adventures. Also, Graham knew he would never hear his dad complain about the Woodland Telephone Helpline ever again, and this made him feel relieved. And the fact that he felt relieved was another thing that made him feel sad. One week later, Ivan had been buried under the big hawthorn tree, and Graham had to get on with sorting out Ivan's set and all of the special, wonderful, interesting souvenirs of Ivan's amazing life. There were leaves from the forest over the stream. There were sticks from the far side of the great glade. There were pebbles from the top of the high crag. And then a lot more leaves, and some other sticks, and some slightly different pebbles, and every single one had had its own unique place in Ivan's heart, but not in a way that could be described as organised, or not massively depressing. Graham decided to keep all the special memories safe by leaving them exactly the way they were and forgetting about them and maybe sorting them out at some point in the future when he had more time or possibly until he also was dead. Then on his dad's doorstep, Graham found a letter from the Woodland Revenue asking Graham to call them about Ivan's badger tax affairs. And he also found three quarters of a bottle of cask-aged Woodland Cordial that he took with him to help him remember Ivan better. Next day, Graham took the letter into the Badger office, where he worked in a sandy warren under a tangle of blackberry bushes. The office had recently been made open plan in what the Bears in senior management called an improvement to our workflow system, but taking out the internal walls did mean that the roof kept falling in. Graham rang the number for the Woodland Revenue. Hello, said a robotic voice. In order to help us progress your call, please state in one word what you are calling about. Bereavement, said Graham quietly, so as not to disturb the other animals, who were working away under their desks and looking nervously at the ceiling. It sounds like you are asking for a refund, said the voice. Is that right? No, said Graham. Bereavement. It sounds like you are asking for a refund, said the voice. Is that right? Bereavement, said Graham, as clearly and as loudly as he could. It sounds like you are asking for a refund. Bereavement, shouted Graham into the phone. Later that morning, a kindly squirrel from personnel came over to Graham's desk. How have you been, Graham? she asked. Only some of the hedgehogs in the marketing department mentioned that earlier you were shouting the word bereavement over and over again for an hour and a half. So I just wanted to pop over and let you know that our thoughts are with you, but it's against company policy for, car for staff to be preoccupied by an existential crisis. And also shouting loosens the earth in the ceiling. So perhaps it would be best if you went home after filling in this leave form. Graham went home. Never mind, love, said Mrs. Badger. Why don't you have a bit of me time to get in touch with the real you? Perhaps you could tidy up your pebble stick and leaf collection. But Graham wasn't really in the mood for that. He sat on his favourite pile of old bracken and poured himself a large acorn cup of cask-aged woodland cordial. I tell you what, said Graham. They need to sort out that woodland helpline. You know, 
said Mrs. Badger. In a lot of ways, I feel like your dad isn't really gone at all. The end. Okay. Uh, and so now for today's dip into the Mighty Finn songbook, we have the finale for Act One of the uh, A Midwinter Night's Dream, a song written by Susanna Pierce, of course, sung by Tom Lyle, or fronted by Tom Lyle, and with a little side fronting by, is that a sex term? I don't know. A bit of side fronting from Ellis Serene as Puck. Tom Lyle is Oberon. Oberon is desperately upset at the fact that Titania has deserted him and he can't really cope with it at all and he is going to take extreme and unwise action. Let the kittens die. <laughs> It was her wish that she be mortal And now her wish is coming true So let her look into the portal Of all the things that humans do Like freezing to death suddenly one of my absolute favourite notes in all the Mighty Finn. Right, so I think that is us for this week. We hope, in spite of the grimness outdoors in all the possible ways that can be taken, things are okay with you. Uh, be good, be well, be good to each other, and we will be back next week. <laughs>